Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, my name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome you to LifePoint today, especially if you're here for the first time. Rob Perry, our site pastor, and I will be down front after the service, and we would love to meet you. Where we are in a series called The Story, where we're looking at the Bible chronologically, starting at the beginning and going to the end. And we're doing that because it's really going to help us gain a better understanding of God's story. Even if you've shown up late in the story, or even if you're like showing up here, this is week 15, that's okay. You can still get just as much out of it. You can also go check out our website for a lot of resources that can get you caught up on the story. So if you just pick up your Bible and start reading, it can get confusing really fast without some context. Because the way the Bible is arranged is more like a library of topical books. First part, specifically the Old Testament, a lot about history, then it moves into a lot, of, uh, a lot of poetry, and then it moves into prophecy. And the same stories are talked about and reiterated and written about and poems written about it and songs written about it. And so it can be a little bit confusing. So we thought, well, what if we just went from beginning to end through God's big story and God's relentless pursuit for the hearts of people. So that's what we're in today and for the next several weeks. Right now, there's some Bibles coming down the aisles. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you would like it. Or you can also just borrow it and leave it in the back on the way out. All the scriptures are also on the screen if you just prefer to follow along that way. Well, I don't do this very often, but I would like to ask for a show of hands if you've ever done something Stupid. All right. Okay, so, okay we, the part about lying is, is a later message. It's not this one, but 100% of hands should go up because we've all done something really dumb. In fact, it's kind of expected of the human race that we just do dumb things. Manufacturers know this. There's actually a book called 101 Warning Labels That Are Funny. And so I browsed through some of those and and there are actually warning labels, for instance, on a chainsaw that says, do not attempt to stop the chain with your hands. That means that at some point, two guys were out in the woods cutting down trees and somebody said, hey, watch this. You know, and they tried to stop it. Actually, in a jet ski manual are the words, never check the fuel level with a match or open flame. Only because somebody said, hey, see if we got some gas. It's dark, I can't see. We'll strike a match and see what the gas level is. Hair dryers, some manufacturers put on hair dryers, do not use in or while you're sleeping. Because, and so I, I thought, I got to research this one a little bit. Why would you do that? Some ladies, or, or men, I guess too, it didn't say, I'm sorry. Some people with thick hair... I uh, don't want to stand there and dry it. So they just thought, well, I'll lay the hairdryer here. I'll lay down beside of it. And then they get burned up. So the hairdryer manufacturer had to say, well, we need to put a label on there for dumb people. <laughs> Scrubbing bubbles toilet brush. Go to Food Lion, look at it, read the small print, and it says not to be used for personal hygiene. <laughs> you just got to be careful. That means somebody thought, Hey, I wonder if this will clean my teeth like it cleans the toilet bowl. It's dirty. It gets white, my teeth. So they had to put the warning label on there. And if you've ever bought a microwave, some of the manufacturers, if you read the small print inside the manual, it says, 
never used to dry pets <laughs> because somebody did it. We need warning sometimes because we do dumb things. Well, today's story is about God's messengers and God's prophets who came to give warnings to God's people so they wouldn't get into any more trouble, so they wouldn't mess their lives up anymore, so they wouldn't go down the wrong path. And so what God decided to do was send these people called prophets. It's recorded in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15, where it says this, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them for he had compassion on his people and his temple. So God's not warning them because he's angry. He's not warning them because he's, he's fed up with them. He's warning them because he loves them. And so God would look at his people and think, you're going down the wrong path. You really need to make some changes. You're really making some boneheaded decisions. So you need some warnings because I love you so much. I don't want you to get your life in a mess. And so what God does, he sends prophets. Now, normally prophets were the people who delivered bad news. You wouldn't want to go out to coffee with a prophet because he's not showing up to say, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you're awesome. You're great. And, and you're going to be successful and life's going to be good for you. And hey, everybody gets free stuff. I mean, prophets don't show up to say that. Prophets show up to say, you're a mess. You need to change. You better change your ways. You better stop doing what you're doing. Do you see how this is separating you from God? Do you see how this is messing up your life? A prophet showed up to tell people what they needed to hear. Maybe not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. You probably have people in your life who will tell you, doesn't matter what you need to hear. I have a few friends in my life who will tell me what I need to hear. They say things to me like, man, did you have a lot of time this week to prepare that message? Okay, well, I see where you're going. Obviously, I didn't. Or they'll say, hey, you're spending too much time on this. You need to be careful. You better watch out. And they warn me. And that's helpful. But prophets in the Old Testament were all about warning people. They probably didn't have a lot of friends. I doubt a lot of people invited them over. Hey, let's bring a prophet over for dinner and just have a good old time. That probably never happened. I mean, today I was trying to think, what's a, what would be equivalent to a prophet? A couple of weeks ago, I met a guy that came up to me and said, hey, you're the pastor of LifePoint Church. I've been wanting to meet you. Here's my name. I'm, I'm the director of this funeral home. And hey, I hope we can be doing business together. And I said, I don't. I'm not, not interested, man. This is not a good sales pitch. And he actually said, I hope to see you soon. And I said, I, no, I don't hope to see you soon. I hope you understand. I mean, what a bad job to have to say, I hope we can do business together. That's kind of like what a prophet was. When he came, showed up to talk to people, it meant something's wrong. So we're going to pick up God's story when some things have gone wrong with the nation of Israel. The last few weeks, we've talked about a couple of kings, King David and his son, King Solomon, that did some great things for the kingdom of God, but they also made some huge mistakes. And because of their huge mistakes, this one nation, this one kingdom was split into two. It was split into the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. And so because Judah was in the south where Jerusalem is, and that's the place where everybody wanted to go to worship, the northern kingdom had to travel to the southern kingdom in order to worship God in his temple. 
Well, it wasn't long until the kings in the northern kingdom started thinking, why do we have to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship? Let's just build some idols here. Let's just pull out some idols from the past. Let's just worship them. And nobody has to go on a road trip. So king after king after king led people in idol worship. And this one king came along, King Ahab. And King Ahab led people further into idol worship. King Ahab had this wife. Her name was Jezebel, like the Jezebel. Like the reason you would never name your little girl Jezebel, Jezebel. This is like the woman that started all the bad stuff about that surrounds the name Jezebel. And what Jezebel did, every time a prophet would show up to pronounce judgment and say, stop worshiping other gods, she would just have him killed. So there wasn't a long line standing, people standing in line to be a prophet because they knew I go before her, she's going to kill us all. And so with no prophets to correct them and Jezebel leading them into idol worship, they began to worship these other gods in ways that are unspeakable. Worship gods by sacrificing babies, worship God through sex, worship God through killing each other through cutting and bleeding and all these bizarre ways to worship these gods. And God was so upset at Jezebel and Ahab, it actually says in the scripture that he, his anger burned more against Ahab than any other king. So Elijah is the prophet that God instructs, go talk to Ahab. And he goes and speak to speak to the king and he says, because of your disobedience, It is not going to rain. There's not going to be any dew. There's no water going to come up or go down in any way for three years because of your idol worship. Now, how is it that the kingdom of God who witnessed all of these wonderful things, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, could be split in two and then start to worship idols? Well, before you're too hard on them and before we start to think, how could they do that? Let's look at what they were seeking. What they were looking for was somebody to provide. They were looking for comfort. They were looking for peace. They were looking for fulfillment. They were looking for direction. And at the same time they were worshiping God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they also started worshiping these other gods that they thought would bring them all the things they wanted, that they thought would make their life everything it needed to be. These other gods that they thought would make their time here on earth better than it could be without them. So they continued worshiping God, but then they went over and worshiped these other gods. A lot of the Old Testament has to do with idol worship on how their hearts were continually pulled over to worship these idols. Now, this part of the Bible would be really easy to just kind of skim past and say, oh, well, they worshiped idols. I don't worship idols. I'm not setting up a pole in my yard and going out and praying to it. That's not happening. So, so we don't have to read this part. But you have to look at why were they doing this? What were they hoping to get? And when they were worshiping idols, what they really were doing was they were replacing what God wanted to provide for them in hopes of getting it somewhere else. So if you're taking notes, Write this down. I'm going to give you a few questions to write down as well. Idols compete for the place of God in my life. 
So now, do we deal with idols today? Absolutely. So how do you know if something is an idol in your life? Well, does it compete for the place of God in your life? Then that's how you can start to determine, am I like those people? Am I continuing to worship God, but yet I'm looking for other places to be fulfilled? Other places for comfort, other places for security, other places for acceptance. And to help us work through that, I want you to write down these questions. You can talk about them at home or over coffee with a friend or around the dinner table or just kind of think through them yourself as you write these down. First question, what do I complain about? See, what I complain about reveals a lot about where I place my hope. And those of us that are uh, parents... I know kids, if you're in here, teenagers, we totally ruined Facebook when we started thinking it was cool, right? And you're probably moving on to something else. We'll figure that out soon. That'll be cool. And we're coming for you. So you can't get away. <laughs> so as those of us who are a little older and have stronger opinions, have, you know, started into social media over the last five or eight years or something like that, uh, we tend to express our opinions. And when I watch a news feed, and I see complaint, 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 complaint. I don't like this. I don't like that. The person in front of me in the line, the person in traffic, politics. Oh my gosh. Everybody, you know, uses that as, hey, I hate this. I love this. This is great. No, I hate you. I hate, and just back and forth, back and forth. People complaining about their beliefs, about what they like, what they don't like, not having enough, the way somebody treated them, their job, complain, complain, complain. And one of the ways I can tell, am I substituting something else for God in my life, is to ask the question, what do I complain about the most? Because that's probably an issue where I need to have some attention. I need to it, divert some focus in my life to figure out why I do that. Next question, what do I sacrifice my time and money for? How did I work giving into a message about profits, right? What do I sacrifice my time and money for? You can look at your calendar and your checkbook and you can be pretty clear about really what you focus on, really what you care about. In fact, in seven days, one of the largest worship events in the world is going to take place. It's called the Super Bowl. And there's going to be 60,000 plus people paying a minimum, I checked on StubHub last night, 1,600 bucks. So what, like that's if they choose where you sit which is probably on the top in a seat covered with snow. But you can pay 38, 32, something like that, $1,000 if you want to sit down near the field. And 60,000 people are going to gather in this stadium in New Jersey and they are going to worship 12 men on a field throwing a ball back and forth trying to get across the opposing team's goal line. Millions upon millions will gather around the TV just to watch the commercials, but still gather around to divert attention. And that's fine if you want to go watch the football game and I'll be sitting around laughing and, and watching just the same. But where do I really devote all of my effort, energy, time, money? Just think about it. And as I thought through these questions this week for myself, it began to reveal what I worship. I love this church. I don't know all of you, but I love it that you're here. I love you. I'm willing to give the rest of my life or my life if necessary to help this church grow in its ability to connect more and more people with God. And that's a noble thing. That's a godly thing. But if I'm not careful, 
you will become my object of worship instead of the God who loves me no matter how many of you show up. And I can get that out of place sometimes. And if I can get that out of place as a pastor leading a church, how much more could you get it out of place as you begin to climb the corporate ladder? As you begin to determine, well, am I going to spend time on this? Is this what I'm going to invest in? Or is this what I'm going to invest in? And if we're not careful, those things can become objects of worship. Jesus knew that. And one day when Jesus was teaching, he said this in Luke chapter 12. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that because he knew that my heart would follow the things that I treasure. Whatever you treasure in life, your heart goes right behind it. And so Jesus recognized that and said, if I want to know where your heart is, I just, if I want to know where your treasure is, I look at where your heart is. I look at what you're following. Next question. What do I worry about? What is it that keeps me worried or concerned or afraid? Because if we're not careful, that thing can become our idol. What brings me joy? What, what just brings you so much joy, makes you happy? You, life is like you're full when you have this joy. That reveals a lot about your focus and your place of trust. Whose applause do I long for? Who, who, who do I long to get applause from? My parents, mom, dad, my kids, my boss, my friends, people I work with. Whose applause am I looking for? Answering that question could reveal a place in your life where you're dealing with idolatry. Where do I go for comfort when I'm hurt, when I feel rejected, when I need acceptance? Where do I go? Because sometimes we can start to feel empty and rejected and turn to things that will, will make us feel better temporarily. Turn to the bottle turn to the pills, open up the refrigerator and just have at it without thinking about anything else. Feeling a little tension in the marriage, things aren't going the way you want, so you find yourself sitting in front of the computer looking at things that are far removed from reality. It's easy to find hope and comfort somewhere other than God. To find acceptance somewhere other than God. And you teenagers, I love our teenagers sit down front, but you need to think about this and listen to this. It's so important that your acceptance, this is true for everybody, and your self-worth come from God. Because if you look for acceptance and self-worth anywhere else, you'll find yourself giving yourself away over and over again. We'll find ourselves alone, addicted, overweight, in debt, not enjoying the life that God has for us because we look to other things for comfort. We believe that that comfort comes from a person, Jesus Christ. Because about 900 plus years after Elijah shows up and tells the king, you better change, you better turn some things around. Jesus comes along to people who were burdened down and he says these words in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, 
I'm the place where you can find fulfillment. And what the people were doing in Ahab's day, they were substituting false gods for the true God. And so Elijah shows up and says, because of that, God's going to get your attention by it not raining for three years, which also means there's going to be a famine like there's never been before. So get ready because of your trust in these other gods, because you have substituted with these substituted what's fake for what you could have that's real. So Elijah shows back up three years into the drought when it's about to end and he's supposed to go say, hey, it's over, it's finished. And he shows back up, he talks to the king. He's in this meeting with King Ahab. King Ahab says, you're a troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, I'm not, I didn't bring trouble. I just bring in a message. You're the one that caused the trouble. Your own actions caused this to happen. So don't blame other people. So he says, here's what I want you to do, King Ahab. I want you to bring all of these prophets that think you and your wife are awesome. All of these prophets that you've been using to deceive God's people. I want you to bring all 450 prophets of Baal. Who was the God, one of things, one of the things prophet or the God of the God Baal did was he was the God of the weather and he they thought he could provide rain. And so they prayed to him, they sacrificed to him, they worshiped him, hoping that something would happen, and nothing ever did. So Elijah says, Bring 450 of those. Then Asherah, another God that they worshipped, instead with along with the true God. Said, bring 400 of those prophets out. So bring all 850 of these prophets out. And we're going to have a showdown. We're going to see which God is true. And when you get these prophets, bring the whole nation of Israel out. Because I want them to see who the true God is. And so in 1 Kings 18, it says this. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So what he's saying is, look, if the Lord is God, you need to follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But you can't have it both ways. You can't look for your trust and security and comfort in Baal and then come over and worship God on the side. It doesn't work that way. He's saying, stop straddling the fence. Make a decision. It's one way or the other. You need to decide which is God in your life, and you need to go in that direction. And so that's what happened. And then he says to, and then it says this about the people. But the people said nothing. They were silent. They had no response. They had to look around and think, well, he's kind of right. What he would say to us today is, how long are you going to complain? How long are you going to put hope and trust in things that might temporarily fill you up, but ultimately will leave you empty? How long are you going to waver between living a life fully devoted to God or living a life that has God in it, but you still do other things that you hope are going to fill you up? He would say, how long? And their response was the same as yours. That. Nothing. See, when I talk about, if I'm talking about husbands being better dads and being better husbands, wives, you're awesome. You're like, hey, tell him, let him have it. Let him, tell him again. And on the way home, guys, you probably get, did you hear what he said? 
You hear what the pastor said? I wrote it down right here. Right there. You need to do that. And it's like, amen, love you, pat on the back. And guys, there's some things I talk about that you do the same thing. But then when it comes to talking about hard stuff, sometimes we're like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm not sure how to, to handle that. So I'll just sit and listen. And so while they're sitting silently, Elijah says, okay, prophets, I want you to build an altar. I'm going to build an altar. You build one. You take a bull. I'll take a bull. And what I want you to do is build an altar. And then we're going to have, I pray to our gods. And we're going to see which God is true by seeing which God destroys the altar by fire. And he says this, call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they build this altar, they put the bull on it, and they start yelling and screaming out to their God. And all in unison, they're asking their God to deliver. And this goes on from morning till noon. I mean, you think church is long sometimes. This is morning to noon. Nothing's happening. And so Elijah starts to taunt them a little bit. He starts to say, maybe your God's asleep. You just need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's gone on vacation. God needs a rest. Maybe you got to wait till he comes back. Maybe he's relieving himself. It actually says that. So he's taunting them like, my God's going to be stronger. Your God's going to the bathroom. And so they start to cut themselves and scream louder and surround the altar and nothing. This goes on till nighttime. All day long, they ask for Baal to to do something. And obviously, because Baal doesn't exist, there is no God. He is not a deity. And so nothing happens. And then Elijah steps up and he tells all the people, hey, come here. I'm going to rebuild this altar to God that you haven't been using. And he puts 12 stones in a circle. And I'm sure as he's stacking stone after stone that represented each tribe in the nation of Israel, he's given them a history lesson of how God had delivered them time after time after time. And he makes this altar. He brings the bull out. He puts the bull on it. And then he says, hey, pour some water on it. Now, this was a big deal for two reasons. One, because it's hard to light something that's got water on it. Number two, they're in the middle of a famine and a drought. So this is precious stuff. They pour water on it. Elijah says, do it again. They do it again. He says, do it again. They do it a third time. And it goes around this trough and fills in the trough around the altar. And then Elijah says this, answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So they just fell down. Because in one second, God provided. He showed up. A lot of you need God to show up in a big way in your life. You're hoping that He shows up somehow. Because life can be unfair. Sometimes because of what we do, sometimes just because we live in a broken world. 
and you may look like you're standing in the middle of a field facing 850 enemies that want to see you go down. But one thing this story tells us is that me plus God or God plus me is always the majority. So you may look like, I can't get past this. I can't defeat this. I can't stop this. We can't fix this. It's never going to be any better. But in reality, God with you is always stronger than whatever is going to come your way in life. And it was proven thousands of years ago on the top of a mountain when a prophet said, God, show these people. And I pray that God reveals to you in your life how He can be with you as you walk through anything you have to walk through. As you deal with some of the things we just have to deal with because we live in a broken, evil world at times. I pray that you understand that God always will meet your every need. He may not meet what you want, but He will always meet your need. And I pray that you stop settling for cheap substitutes to fill you up. For that which was never meant to fill you up, to chase after that thinking, when I get there, then I'll be full, only to realize it was a dead end. And just like Baal didn't answer, the thing you're chasing won't answer whenever you do get there. There are a lot of times in life we settle for cheap substitutes. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm sorry. I know some of you think I need to repent of that, but I just can't. I've tried. It tastes like dirt no matter what. I, I, I tried every little flavor, fill it full of sugar, still got that dirt taste, so I don't drink it. But I love chai tea. A chai tea at Starbucks, an iced chai tea, is one of the greatest tasting things in the world. It is. I love it. So I've had four of these today already. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's awesome. This costs $4.50. For, to me, it probably cost them 50 cents or less to make. So my wife notices my debit card and is like, hey, what's all that Starbucks stuff? Well, I like chai tea, honey. You know, we can buy that at the store and make it at home. And so we do. <laughs> but it doesn't taste anything like it. <laughs> it looks like it a little bit. But, but with all the love that my wife has for me, she, she mixes this up and I'm like, That'll do. That's fine. You know, it doesn't taste the same. It's a cheap substitute for what's real. (laughs) Right? A lot of people go through life trying to fill themselves up with the cheap substitute. The thing that's not real. The thing that was never designed to fill you up. But yet we go day after day thinking if I can just get to this spot, this place, then I will be full. Don't settle for cheap substitutes. Everything you need, God can fill you up. If it's acceptance, if it's security, if it's hope, if it's peace, if it's grace, God can give you all of that. And you don't have to shout at other gods, at idols that won't ever fill you up. Now, all of those things we chase after, they're not bad. Not bad to make a lot of money. It's not bad to want a very healthy relationship. And so you're going to shop around till you make sure you find the person that has a high likelihood that's going to happen. That's okay. 
But when you look to those things to be the ultimate fulfillment in life, that's when you hear nothing back. So maybe the next step for you is, I need to decide what I need to just surrender and stop trusting in the cheap substitute to fill me up. And then trust in the real thing. And then all that other stuff will come with it. Contentment and all the stuff that you seek. And peace, forgiveness and grace and all that will come along. May you do that today. May this story of a prophet confronting the nation of Israel about their idolatry encourage you to stop wherever else you're seeking comfort except for God in your life. It's not an easy thing. It's step by step. But take the first step today and surrender. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story that helps us know where our direction should be, that helps guide us, that helps give us hope that you will comfort us when we need comfort, you will give us fulfillment when we need it. And God, may we be convicted today to stop settling for cheap substitutes for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.